Um, if you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at Psalm 134. It's very short, so um, we'll put it up on the screen, and we'll kind of leave it up there for a second as we read through it and talk about it a little bit this morning. Psalm 134 says this, Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. That's it. Psalm 134. Three verses. It is the final psalm of ascents, which are the the psalms that were recited and sung by God's people as they approached um, Jerusalem, as they approached the holy city for the holy days. For some people, this journey was days. For some, it was weeks. I've heard it said that for some, it was months, but I've tried to do the math on that, and I'm like, wait, if you spend months getting there, there's multiple holy days. Why didn't you, like, were you just there all the time? So I'm not sure, but I know most likely it took people weeks to arrive. And this psalm specifically is one that is sung after people have arrived. We've been talking the last couple weeks about the kinds of things that have to do with gathering together in worship because these were the psalms that people recited as they were in the midst of a group of people who they had arrived to worship with. Things like praising the community and the unity, which we talked about last week. Uh, What it looks like to be kind of united in a group of people together and to be like, we're all doing this together and God God's very clear message to us that, um, that he can use us as his church, as his people, if we are united together more than anything else. Um, this week, we're hearing something that's coming, it's sort of being recited from a unique perspective. Um, this psalm would be recited by the priests themselves, by the people who lead the people who have come to Jerusalem and worship. Um, I don't know if you've ever been on some kind of a long journey to a place that you anticipated quite a bit, but people would often spend days and weeks um, getting to Jerusalem. Um, and so when they got there, there was probably a lot of anticipation, things they wanted to do. Um, you, you get there to see people that you maybe haven't seen for quite a long time. Jerusalem was a very big deal. It was a, it was a big place to be, and uh, people probably went there and wanted to start buying things, right? This isn't unusual. Okay, you go to Disneyland. What do you do at Disneyland? You ride things, but then you also buy things that you can only get at Disneyland. At least you hope you can only get them there because you pay a lot for them. If you go home and find out you can get it somewhere else, you're like, you got to be kidding me, right? So people would arrive at Jerusalem and be like, there are marketplaces, there are traders, there are people selling things. Let's get some stuff. Let's meet some people. Let's eat some food that we can't eat where we normally come to. Um, But ultimately, the real reason that they're there, the priests are reminding them of, which is, above all else, everybody, come let us, as we gather, bless the name of the Lord. Come, let us sing praises to him and worship him. Let's go into the temple. Um, Let's sacrifice on his behalf. Let's do these things that we do because it's our way of blessing the Lord because we believe that he's worthy of that. But you might not be surprised to find that that was probably not what everyone wanted to do when they arrived. And so this psalm, this very short psalm that is very simple, is an encouragement from a priest Um, for the people, but it's also, what's interesting, is it's an encouragement kind of from one priest to others. We read in the very first verse here, come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. 
In Jerusalem, during the holy days, the temple was open 24-7. People were coming in in such great numbers that the only way to get them through was to be like, all right, guys, this is it. Uh, all the priests were all working all the time. We're 24-hour shifts, whatever we got to do. The lines are wrapping around the building because people want to come in and they want to worship and they want to be a part of this thing. And so we're all going to nonstop facilitate and lead people through corporate worship, sacrifice, and praise to God. And so this psalm is also the priest's encouragement to the other priests. Those who have, through the middle of the night, again and again and again, been leading people in blessing the Lord, and they're kind of saying, keep going, keep going, keep going. There's something very unique about again and again and again seeking to lead the people of God in blessing his name. That can be a very um, difficult thing to do. Um, if God has called and led someone to, to lead people in worship, to lead people in praising him, that person will likely do it again and again for quite a while. And as that happens, um, one of the biggest challenges is to continue to do that with the same sort of passion and zeal uh, for all of us as we come together to continue to worship God week in and week out, year after year after year. For some of you, if you've been praising the Lord for the better part of your life, you know that one of the challenges is to approach God again with the passion, with the devotion, with the focus, with the willingness to offer yourself. And if you think it's hard for you, imagine what it's like for a worship leader. Imagine what it's like to be someone who again and again is doing this. As we were thinking about this passage this morning, it seemed appropriate in talking. This passage is about worship. It's about blessing the Lord. It's about how we do that and what we receive in response to that. And as we were thinking through it this week, we were saying, you know, I was really saying, um, what better way to talk about worship than not for me to talk about worship, but for the people who actually lead us in worshiping each and every week. And so what we're going to do this morning is a little bit different, and I promise it's not because I'm lazy. What we're going to do is we're going to split this up a little bit. Um, we have um, some very committed uh, worship leaders who you guys see week in and week out who come and play together, uh, not just musicians, not just performers, but actually worship leaders who are facilitating worship. That comes from a heart for worship and a passion for what God calls his people to do. And so to me, it seems most appropriate if we're going to hear a little bit about what this looks like, the purpose of our worship, the forms of our worship, why we do it the way we do it. What are some of the challenges we encounter in doing it that it makes the most sense to hear from the experts, which are the people who lead us through it themselves. So um, what I'm going to do, what we're going to do this morning is um, uh, Steve, our worship leader, is going to come up and he's going to share for a bit and teach for a bit on this. Um, and then Ellie's going to share as well, and Joey's going to share as well, and then I'll kind of wrap things up this morning. So um, hopefully it's a little bit easier to pay attention to because you got some different people to pay attention to. Um, but I would encourage you this morning, as we kind of devote this time to just sharing our hearts about worship, um, that you would kind of to hear these things and maybe evaluate how it is that you're approaching this topic yourself. So I'm going to bring up Steve, and he's going to kick us off this morning.
right. Woo! It's <laughs> one way to break the ice. So, it's so weird. I don't have a guitar to hide behind or a microphone stand to hide behind. Why do we worship? Um, I meant to take 10 minutes to say this, um, but the answer is because he's worth it. Um, in this day and age, you know, where there's suffering, there's always been suffering, where there's division, where there's politics, um, where there's vitriolic hatred, why do we worship? Because he's worth it. Why, why do we here at OCEC, you and I, worship? Why do we come together and sing? Why do we live lives of worship? And it's because he's worth it. But the more often I say that, the less meaning the word seems to have. Because sometimes, I mean, sometimes it runs deeper. Sometimes you can, you know, have, you know if, you've, if you've seen um, uh, the, oh, what was the movie? Um, the movie where it's like, uh, no, it's completely gone, completely gone from my mind. I didn't have it written down. So we're not going to go with that because he's worth it. Okay. We can add other meanings to why we come to church to worship. Okay, one is because the Bible tells us. That's a good reason. Uh, one is because we have always done it. Not a very good reason. One is because we like the music. Thank you. It's very kind of you. It's nice, but it's not a very good reason. Um, one is we come and worship in order to get through to the get through the singing to get to the sermon which is also fine. Um, what I'm trying to get to here is that our reasons, to be, our reasons to worship can be diluted. It's so easy for it to either become habit um, or for us to lose why, to lose that, that deep why. Um, and so I want to look at why he's worth it. Why is God worth, worth worshipping? And um, you might say to me, Steve, he's worth worshipping because he's God. And I would say to you, good point, well made. Um, but the amount of times that I've come to church, personally, I've come to church and sung songs and listened to a sermon and then gone away um, without actually having engaged in anything is pretty embarrassing. Um, and that's not to say... I'm a bad person or you're a bad person. It's just, it's a reality. Um, and so, as Ed alluded to, what does it look like to come to, to, to church and worship God? To remind ourselves, how do we effectively re um, remind ourselves that He is worth it? Um, and song's an amazing way of doing that. And so, I want to look at some of the worship moments in the Bible, some of the songs in the Bible um, that remind us of these things. Or of some of them aren't songs, because I want to start with this um, on his He is Worth It. In the beginning, God.
I try not to get emotional, but maybe it's part of being a worship leader. So that, that says to me, in the beginning, God says to me, there's a pre-existent being who by the very power of his word created. He is currently the Alpha and the Omega. He is now the beginning and the end. He's outside of time. And he spoke a word and he created and he called it good. And through that word, who is Jesus Christ, he made a way for us to be in relationship with him. Along the way, he said things like to Job, he challenged him and said, can you bind the chains of the Pallades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead the bear out with its cubs? Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you set up God's dominion over earth? And the word that he used, as in Jesus, Jesus was the word. He was in the beginning. He was with God. He was the word. And through him, all things were created. This Jesus, when he was on earth, said to the little children, come to me. A blind man was on the, sorry, a blind man was on the side of the street and Jesus is walking along and he, and he hears, he goes, what's going on? And, um, and the people say, oh, it's Jesus walking by. And so he starts to yell, like, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they're saying, shut up, be quiet, don't bother him. And he yells out and he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops, the word who created the world stops and says to him, what do you want me to do for you? What? The word, the very living word who created the world, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, I want to see you. And he wanted to see you. And I think this resonates with me so much because that's the cry of my heart is I want to see God. I want to see who he is. I want to know who he is. And then Jesus says, oh, sure, your faith has made you well. And he sees. At the, in Revelation, when we have a picture of the, the kingdom of, 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 well, of heaven, and whether you find it literal or metaphoric, it doesn't really matter. Um, there's this point at which... The living creatures give glory and honor to him. Oh, sorry, here we go. No, the pictures, so we have a picture of heaven. The four creatures, which are crazy, one's like a lamb, one's, I mean, one's like a lion, one's like an eagle, one's like a man, and I can't remember the third one, the fourth one. And, um, and so there are these fearsome creatures, these amazing creatures, um, and all they do is say, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then there are the 24 elders. So you, and so in my picture of this, 24 elders, the ones with the crowns, the ones who are like the best of the best, what they do is they throw their crowns down and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things 
and by your will, they were created and they have their being. Mary, when, she, when the angel came to her and said, hey, you're going to have a baby, she recited or she created or she sang, we don't know, the Magnificat, which is in Latin, magnify, glorify. And this is what it says. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. For his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Worship can get really complicated. And I'm so pleased um, that Ellie and Joey have more of a job of teasing out the complications of it than I do. Um, and, and, I, and I'm really looking forward to it because their hearts in this are amazing. But why do we worship? It's because fundamentally, and this, and I know <laughs> I'm yet to go into why do we sing, um, but why do we worship? It's because God is stunning. The more that we have a revelation of his nature, and if his character, if God is who he says he is, and if he does what he says he does, then he is beautiful, he is fearsome, he is forgiving, he is righteous, he is angry, he is loving, he is faithful, and he is holy, holy, holy. And as we keep our eyes on him, as we decide to set our eyes on him in our life, the only natural response is worship. And that's worship in our lives in general. But why do we sing here? What's the value of singing? And this is actually going to be pretty short. and I'm hoping that it'll be expanded on otherwise. But one of the amazing things about art is... um, and this is some of my daughter's art, by the way. The reason that I have three name tags is because I took half of them off. <laughs> um, art is an amazing thing because it's the language of the soul in a lot of ways. It, it engages our intellect, but it engages our soul, our emotions, our spirit. And singing, quite simply, is the art that is the most easy to be corporate to be done together. Um, And so as we sing, we share faith. As we sing, we share burdens because you might, we might, somebody might be singing out of an amazing place of faith and somebody might be singing out of an amazing place of pain and we sing together and glorify God and strengthen each other and encourage each other and bless the Lord. And, um, 
this, the, the psalm, which is not up there, but it has two components, bless the Lord and the Lord bless me. There we go. Bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. And then at the end, may the Lord bless you from Zion. And if we look at other psalms, it's really, really easy to see um, how, that, how that pans out. In, and that's in some of the songs we sing too. Praise him, you heavens, and all that's above. Praise him, you angels and heavenly hosts. Let the whole earth like praise him. That's straight out of Psalm 148. Or to bless me, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from my presence. I didn't get that right, but you know what I mean. God is worthy of our worship because he's God. And when we're not feeling that, it's, it's okay. It doesn't change who he is. And that's where choice comes in. But one thing that I can tell you is that there is no more encouraging place for me than standing amongst a group of people who are looking at God and worshipping him. There's no other place that will lift my heart um, quite like that. Besides maybe when my children are worshipping him. <laughs> That's still corporate worship, come on. The question then though is, okay, we sing, we worship because God's worth it. But what is it that we sing? Why do we sing those things? These are really important questions to engage in. So I'm going to hand that over to Ellie. All right. I was at a wedding recently where there were three groomsmen and they all gave a speech. And when one took the microphone from the other one, they said, if you like that guy, he'll be back a little bit later. And that's kind of how I feel right now. Um, I'm a little bit of a fish out of water uh, with this. So I'm going to read <laughs> and hopefully you can hear um, my thoughts, even if, as, I, as I read them a little bit more than Steve was able to pace and get your attention and do these kinds of things. I'm not really there yet, so. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, I have a little title for my section of the talk, and it's called, We Have a Song to Sing. Um, and I'd like to explain what I mean by that in three points. Um, oh, look, I get slides. That's because I'm married to the right person. Um, so my first point is that uh, we have something, and who we worship matters. The second is that we have a song, and what we sing matters. And the third being is that we have a song to sing, and what we sing matters. So kind of coming off of Steve's talk, um, the first point is that we have something, and who we worship matters. Um, my experience of four kids and after kids was a drastic change in my life, to say the least. I was 29 years old. I'd been married with no children for eight years before Ed and I brought home our first son at 15 months of age, a full-blown running toddler. Four months later, we brought home 
our daughter, Davy. If you need to hear that again, it was four months later. We brought home our daughter, Davy, a newborn from the hospital because and because they were both adopted, I had none of the nine months of my body telling me they're coming, get ready. And because they were both adopted, we had no idea that we would be the proud parents of two children, 19 months apart in just four months. These kids changed everything for me. My life flipped upside down overnight. My thoughts were consumed with them. My sleep was robbed from me. I found a new love for late night hours when the house was quiet. I never knew ice cream could be so good. <laughs> I cried a lot. My heart grew in ways I never knew it could. Um, my whole wardrobe changed to gray t-shirts. My days and nights were dictated by my children's every need. There are things we encounter in our lives that flip everything on its head because of what we now have. When we encounter God, he changes everything for us. We reorient our lives around him and we worship him. We worship because of him. Because we have, as Steve said so well, we have a God who is worthy of our worship. And because we have a God who has given us life instead of the death that we deserve. It is because of him because of what we have, that we have a song to sing. Secondly, we have a song, and what we sing matters. Um, many Christian artists and writers have been reflecting lately on the works of a writer named Frederick Buchner, who recently passed away, and whose works have greatly impacted the Christian community. I did not know this happened until I was scrolling through Instagram. <laughs> When I came across a post with a video of him from 1993 giving a reflection on grace, I was struck by the way he carried this sentence. A crucial eccentricity of the Christian faith is the assertion that people are saved by grace. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. In every reiteration of there's nothing you have to do by emphasizing one word over the other, it highlights a specific truth and completely changes the meaning of the sentence. It matters what we emphasize. Every Sunday, we have the opportunity to come together and hear from God's word and sing songs together, and it matters what actual words we say in those songs. It matters what we choose to emphasize, to highlight, to remember and to internalize. So where do we turn for this content, and how do we know when we're singing something that matters? God gives us the song. It's not something we make up, and it's not based on rules of poetry or songwriting or the number of verses we sing or don't sing or how many times we sing them or the amount of songs we sing during the service. It is not a song of our culture or our country. It is a song based on his words to us and his actions toward us. I didn't know I could do that. I could emphasize things with this microphone here. It's kind of fun. Um, but it is the story we find in scripture which compels us towards his glory 
His greatness and his goodness, our need of him because of our sinful state, his redemption of our souls, our thankful response, his blessings, his promises, and his charge to us. It is a song that has been sung long before we came around and will be sung well after we die. When we sing these songs together, we are acknowledging this gospel narrative that we see played out in the Bible, and we repeat it week after week to both our own hearts and to each other. So to give you a more practical way of seeing this, let me read some examples from songs that we sing. This might get a little bit long, and I'm reading them instead of singing them, so it's not as fun, but it's very interesting. Um, so on the subject of his greatness and glory, which is the practice of adoration, adoring our God for who he is and his greatness and goodness and glory, these are some examples. Your glory is so beautiful. I fall upon my knees in awe, and the heartbeat of my life is to worship in your light. Your glory is so beautiful. The splendor of the king, robed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice. How great is our God, how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. None above him, none before him, all of time is in his hands. For his throne it shall remain and, it, and ever stand. All the power, all the glory, I will trust in his name. For our God is the ancient of days. We get to sing that at the end. Of this. And on the subject of sin, which is confession and redemption, the assurance of our pardon, listen to these examples. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son and make a wretch his treasure. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but in whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more, even so it is well with my soul. On the subject of our thankfulness and our response to him and what he's done for us. It is your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you. Thank you for the cross that you've carried. Thank you for the blood that was shed. You took the weight of sin on your shoulders and you sacrificed your life so I could live. Now nothing is holding me back from, your re from you, redeemer of my soul. Now nothing can hold me back from you. Your love will never let me go. What joy is found in communion with you, beholding your beauty, in knowing your truth, in living a life that pleases your heart, responding with praises to all that you are. And his blessings, and the subject of his blessings and his promises, when the enemy surrounds, we sang that this morning, and my heart grows faint within, when the darkness overwhelms and my fears are pressing in, I will trust in you. O oh Lord, in the silence I will wait. I will stand upon your word. You are my solid rock, my salvation, my steadfast hope that won't be shaken. My soul will wait. My soul will wait for you. All my life you've been faithful. 
All my life you've been so, so good. With every breath that I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me to those around you, me. There are other categories of worship that are maybe smaller, um, but we also find in the Bible, like lament or waiting, anticipation, communion, fellowship of the saints. These are, might be kind of big words, but as we kind of see, start to see that there are things that we get these words from that are presented to us in God's word and flow out of that natural course of the, that the gospel takes that we see in our lives. So let's remember that it matters what we sing. We have a song to sing. We've been given this song. But why is it important that we sing it? Um, it's kind of funny. We keep finding ourselves at the end of going, why do we have to sing it, though? <laughs> I don't know. Um, why we sing actually does matter. Um, and I loved what Steve said about art, and I feel the same way. Um, but let's see. When we look at the Bible, first of all, we find an abundance of examples of singing and references to the incorporation of musical instruments into our life with God and worship of him. To name a few, we see characters like Miriam and Moses crossing the Red Sea and instructing the Israelites through song. King David is a gifted musician and a songwriter and is constantly singing his heart out to the Lord. The whole nation of Israel going into battle, after battle, in celebration and remembrance of God. Mary in response to being a bearer of Jesus. Paul and Silas singing while imprisoned. We have the whole book of, of the Psalms, songs written by various authors. And Jesus' last words were in reference to a song. And as I was thinking about that, I was, I was wondering if you've ever imagined them coming out in the tune that they were written to as he cried out in a loud voice. In the New Testament, we read these instructions to the church in Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We are a people who sing. And this biblical history, our church's history, with singing songs is proof that God isn't a God who wants us to know him with just our minds. He wants us to know him with our hearts. What does this mean? God doesn't want us to just consume information about him. Images of TV shows come to mind of people speed reading books and then like magically becoming smarter and more powerful versions of themselves capable of doing anything they now know about. But this isn't really how it works. Um, it's more like playing an instrument. There's head knowledge, and then there's physically getting to know how the instrument feels, where to place your fingers, how hard to press down, 
or maybe like playing sports where you can read the rules of sports and watch it on TV, but it's altogether a different thing to play the sport, to train your body, to run or jump or catch or throw or block, to wear the uniform, to feel comfortable, capable of doing what you need to when the time comes. Um, I know this well as my son Tegan just started playing football of all things and he had to get his gear weeks before he started practicing and wear his helmet and he hated it and they said it will give you a headache so you have to wear it a half an hour every day so you get used to it <laughs> because he couldn't just go out into the field and start practicing without feeling what it felt like to have this three pound helmet on his head. The physical knowledge, the physical knowing of a thing that engages our body brings us into another level of awareness and connection with that thing. God asks us to sing, and not just out loud to ourselves, but with and to each other. Again, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. There are other disciplines, or we could say ways of training or practicing how to engage with God using our physical body that he asks uh, of us as well. Things like fasting or communion or our posture in prayer, confession of our sin. It turns out that doing things, not just knowing about them, engages us in a different way. When we see all this singing in church, not just as a pretty sound, which it can very well be, but as a thing we are meant to participate in, because it will benefit us to do so, we do well. Worship in church is not meant to be a solitary, internalized experience. Maybe closing your eyes and just you're all alone, kind of thinking or brooding over the words. It's actually an externalized engagement in a practice that we do together as a body. And there's something about singing music, isn't there? How different was it for me to read the words of all of those songs than for you to actually start to hear them sung to a tune? There's something in music that takes the word of God and doesn't allow it to just float over our heads or maybe beat us in the head. It is softening. It is memorable. It cuts deeper than sometimes words can do. It enters our soul, like Steve was saying. It engages with our heart. All of a sudden, our mind, our body, and our heart are hearing the words of the Lord, sung in our own mouths and in the mouths of fellow believers, imperfect as we are, and we are changed. You see, our deep and rich history of singing songs is proof that God isn't a God that wants us to just know him with our minds. He wants us to know him with our hearts. So, who we worship matters, what we sing matters, and that we sing matters. And this is why we worship. So let's be people who worship with all that we are, wherever we find ourselves gathering together, because we have a song to sing. Amen. I'm going to hand this over to Joey, the third batch, or the third uh, group.
groomsmen. <laughs> Hello. So for those of you who don't know, I've had the privilege to pretty much grow up in this church after moving here in the fifth grade. And I can honestly say that for as long as I can remember, worship has always been one of the top priorities of this church. Having served in the worship ministry for so long, I've had the experience to serve along many different worship teams, different worship leaders, pastors, volunteers, musicians, and anybody who's really been on this stage before. And regardless of styles and song selections, their leadership in this church has always had the heart to see the people of God worshiping him together. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And of course, there are other ways to worship God, but there is something amazing about coming together here on a Sunday morning as a church family to be together, to sing together, to reflect together, to lift our hands together, and just to be together. I think that as Christians, the way that we connect our heads to our hearts is through our words and our actions. I'm going to say that again because I think it's an above average quote here. But Christians, the way that we connect our heads to our hearts is through our actions and the words that we say. And what I mean is, is I can know all about God. I can know that God loves me. I can know that he loves you. I can know that he died for me. I can memorize scripture. And I can know all about his character. But when I sing about it, when I echo his truth and those words physically leave my mouth in declaration and hope, those words become much, much more real to me and will ultimately show to those around me. So worshiping is a way that we can express our faith in a real and tangible way. And like Ellie said, I don't believe that our faith is meant to be in here and not even just to stay in here. I don't think our faith is meant to be just knowledge or theory that we know when we believe, but it stops. I think a lot of people have been burned by that because oftentimes we can have a hard time actually living out our faith. And worship is a real way that we can do that. I have early memories of worshiping in this room as a middle and high schooler, and I believe that singing those words has literally changed me. Something beautiful about music is that songs are catchy. Songs have great melodies and rhythms, and they get stuck in your head. Um, and something that, that I've been thinking about is what better music can get stuck in your head and your heart than music that is glorifying to Jesus. I still find myself singing words and choruses randomly throughout the day, of songs that I sang years ago. It's almost like the more that I sang them, they became cemented in my heart. And they have stuck with me. And when these words are cemented in my heart, they come out of my actions and how I live my life. And I have noticed that in hard times, when I'm stuck spiritually, when doubt kicks in and I start to lose my faith, I'm surprised and embarrassed about how fast my faith goes right out the window. But when those times come, 
the words that we sing literally come pouring out of my mouth. His truth and his promises come flowing. I don't even, I don't even think about it. It's just a response to something that my heart does. And I believe it's from worshiping here weekly. So when I begin to doubt without knowing it, his words come out of my mouth. And as I continue to read through the Gospels, you see when Jesus is tempted, he doesn't combat with word by word. He immediately throws out scripture. So when there's doubt, we go to the truth of God's word. When Jesus is tempted, he goes to the truth of God's word. And I think that is a beautiful thing that I read over for so long. And now I can begin to actually live that out by expressing my faith through worship. Um, and even if you don't love the sound that worship music comes in, and I'm not going to lie, I'm there with you sometimes. I've been known to enjoy some heavy metal and some pop music. Uh, but... Um, but these words, as, as Stephen Elliott has been sharing, that these words share about his character. These words tell the story of his gospel. These words pull us closer into a relationship with him and remind us who we truly are, which is sons and daughters of Jesus. Worshiping here together on a Sunday morning is one of the most important things we will do here. And it isn't something that we made up, as we've heard throughout the um, Stephen Ellie sharing, um, this is something that we see in Scripture, God's people doing over and over. Psalm 98, 1 through 7 says, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shouts for joy to the Lord. All the earth burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world, all who live in it. So here the psalmist gives followers of Jesus a simple instruction, which is to worship God with sound. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and just assume with that combination of instruments, it probably didn't sound that good. It kind of sounds like a mess. Um, so, but I, And I realize, and I read that, but I look at the important thing of the heart, and I realize that they were together. They were worshiping together. I believe that we should worship God with the best that we have, but the emphasis is on our hearts as we are connected, connecting and worshiping God together. And if you are new to this church or new to church in general, maybe this is your first time, I realize that it can be kind of weird. It can be kind of awkward. I once had um, somebody, a, a non-Christian, tell me um, that they thought worship is just Christian karaoke. And, and I thought about that for a second, and then I realized that they were kind of right. Um, it, can, it can look funny from the outside, but as we've heard this morning is that we sing with a purpose. We sing as a response. We sing to praise God for who he is and what he has done. And I want to end by saying that when you worship, 
It's not just you who is affected by it. I can't remember how many times I have been encouraged and strengthened by seeing others worship. A few years ago, I was serving at a, a, a YFC camp in Florida, and I was in the back of the gathering room, um, and we were having our main session, uh, and then we just saw, I was in the back of the room, and I saw 30 students say yes to Jesus for the first time. And right after that, the band came up, and they started playing. And every single one of those students began to worship fully with everything that they had. And it hit me like a ton of bricks because I realized that we truly are made to worship God. These students didn't know it yet. They didn't know yet that they were created for that. Worship can seem funny and it can seem awkward, but as I watched those kids worship, they had never been to church before. They just did it as a response. Worshiping here is one of the most important things we do together. And I truly hope that you guys can come deeper into a relationship with Jesus by singing together as a church family. And you can come on up. That's that's all I got. Um, but <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Joey. You should just start ending everything with "That's all I got." <laughs> we go until we got nothing else. Um, boy, I think the picture of those students is. Joey and I were talking about this before the service. Like, is it the most important thing we do or is it one of the most important things we do? The moment you say something is the most important thing, you know, people are going to walk up afterwards and be like, what about this thing, you know? I think that perfectly illustrates about those students coming to faith and worshiping. The state of the world we live in and why the church exists and why we worship and the importance of it in connection to even mission, right? We live in a world filled with people who God created in order to, he created us to worship him. He created us to glorify him, enjoy him, to worship him. And until we come to know him, we cannot worship him truly. Uh, we can't really worship him fully. And so there's nothing better than seeing people come to faith and then realizing they now are able to do something that God created them to do, the thing he created them to do, and it puts it into perspective that we come together here each week. We come together at the, as a church throughout the week doing all kinds of things, but we come together in worship when we come together in worship. It is the most important thing that we do because it is the thing that God created us to do. Because of sin and the fall, there is separation. There are things that keep people from worshiping God. That is why the mission of God exists. Uh, there, are, there are things we need to know and understand about God, which we, we learn about God, um, and that's important, but um, we cannot find anything more important to do with our time together than to worship the Lord. So let's pray and we'll continue to worship.